We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello and welcome to episode 45, the Happy Holidays edition of the Brew Hoop podcast this week. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by my merry elves, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. How are you guys doing uh, on this cheery, cheery holiday week? Uh, I'm doing all right. If my voice sounds like it's coming through a tin can, that's because I forgot my microphone back in Minneapolis because, ladies and gentlemen, I am back in southeast Wisconsin recording live from my mom's basement. So (laughs) we're bringing this podcast full circle. I'm enjoying myself. It's good to be back home. Uh, (laughs) And I'm looking forward to talk some more Bucks basketball because it never quits, even during the holidays. Wow. Riley's got the the pizza pizza maker downstairs. He's got the fridge deck with Mountain Dew. I got the Xbox. He brought home the Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got everything going. So really, I understand why people. You know, no disrespect to people who live at home. I'm I'm totally. It's like a luxury hotel back here. So it's good to be back. How about you, Kyle? Uh, I cannot say I went back home for the holidays. I did just celebrate one Christmas with my wife's family and that was fun. And the nice thing is they live in Madison, so we can drive over there, hang out, and then I can drive home and sleep in my own bed, which is pretty great. But visiting home is always one of those things where it's nice in short stints, but once you start getting past a week, it's getting to the point where it's like, I need to get the hell out of here. So best of luck to you, Riley. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because, uh, so my parents are divorced, no big deal there, but uh, they live like 40 minutes away from each other. So it's like close enough to make it feasible to get from place to place, but a little bit too far to make it like easy to do. So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but as long as I separate those two out and then we'll go over to the fiance's house. Cause she's from, uh, she's from Sussex as well. So we'll spread it around enough where I won't hopefully lose my mind over the next coming week. But you know, day two, I'm, I'm holding strong so far. Well, that's great to hear. I'm going, uh, I'm not going back to Wisconsin for this one. I'm going to my in-laws house in Charleston. I got a long, long drive ahead of me on Christmas Eve from Philly down to Charleston. Uh, Somebody's going to be, sorry, oof. is it going to be, uh, what was the story last week? Is it going to be driving from Florida all over again? Well, uh, part two. Th- I'm hoping that it isn't quite as harrowing as the, uh, the Myrtle Beach <laughs> drive, drive back. But uh, it is, it will be semi-harrowing because she's, she's working night shift. Uh, oh God. We're recording Christmas. 23rd so she's recording she's working night shift and then we're going to start driving at like noon tomorrow so um Ooh. she's you know she's terrifying enough driver on like eight hours of sleep so who knows what <laughs> four hours is going to do uh, but uh all right anyway another terrifying thing that happens this past week was of course the 120 to 116 loss that the the milwaukee bucks suffered at the hands of the dallas mavericks Giannis, of course, seemed like the only player, well, Kyle Korver, I guess, but Giannis seemed like the only player who was really interested in showing out for that game. A very impressive 48 points, 14 rebounds, 18 of 31 for the field. Uh, Kyle Korver was hot. Uh, him and George Hill and Ursan Ilyasova were the only other players who hit double digits for the Bucks, but no other starter besides Giannis even scored double digits. Guys, I think the biggest story from this one, of course, was uh, Milwaukee shooting just 26.8% from three-point three point land. Dallas shooting 39%, both on the same amount of attempts, 41 attempts. And it really seemed like Riley, this one just kind of came down to the Bucks just missing shots. Yeah, and we've seen this happen already this season a couple of times where the four losses that they did get, a lot of them you could have chalked up, especially early in the season, to one, figuring out the scheme, and two, just not having great sh- shooting from the start. So like Wes Matthews, he's obviously a lot better now, but the start of the season wasn't all that great. And the example before the Mavericks game that really jumps out is I believe the Bucks were on the road against the Bulls and the the Bucks were like stuck in 13.13% from three and the Bulls are shooting something like 38 to 40%. And yet 
in that situation, because the discrepancy between the talent levels between the two teams was so great, it didn't really matter. The Bucks were able to smash them away inside and make up for it. But we've seen that things get close when the Bucks, because they shoot so many threes, they don't make them. And if the other team is going to make a lot of them, I mean, it's it, it makes it sound like simple math because that is simple math. And with how dedicated Milwaukee has been to the system, it does end up being simple math. And most of the time it ends up working out and you have Giannis to help clean up everything else. But in this situation between a little bit of like lackadaisical effort, shots not going, et cetera, it just kind of unfortunately ended up not being uh, Milwaukee's night, which is double unfortunate because I came on this pod and said we would wax the Mavericks. And <laughs> I like to, I like was watching the box score a little bit from distance before I tuned. I was like, Oh my God, we're definitely, <laughs> we're going to lose. I can't believe I jinxed it like this. So uh, not great for my predictive uh, record, but that's nothing new. So, Yeah, Kyle, and I mean, <clears throat> Riley made a good point in saying that the Bucks really do play the simple math game, and that's why sometimes these games come down to it. But it was really underscored by the fact that, I mean, the Bucks got off 17 more shots than the Mavericks, so they weren't really turning the ball over and costing themselves points that way. Uh, but they only made three more shots overall than the Mavericks. So it really did come down to that. Just The team was just off that night besides Giannis and Korver. Yeah, and also at the end of the game when it was seemingly out of reach, when Kristaps Porzingis hit those two deep three-pointers, and I think the Mavericks were up 14 or 16 or something with a couple minutes left, and Milwaukee just went on this frantic pace where they were getting layups, they were getting shots, and Dallas just continuously missing free throws and keeping them alive in the game to the point that they had the bench guys at the end, and once they got it close, I think it was like eight points, they put Giannis back in, and then he – Dallas allowed him to just go down the court, get a dunk or a layup, and then those free throws. And then it'd be the same thing. Giannis gets the ball, gets down the court in two seconds, gets a dunk or layup, repeat. And it just was constantly repeating. And while Dallas is missing these free throws, Milwaukee's lead, I mean, not lead deficit, goes from 16 to like 10 to 8 to 4 to eventually three, 2 because Giannis got an and 1. And if he had made that, I think it was either two or three that it was a deficit. If he makes it, it's only two, but he misses. Sterling Brown gets the rebound, tries getting the shot up at the end, but unfortunately gets blocked by Chris F. Porzingis and Milwaukee doesn't get a chance to try and shoot a three to equalize it. And I know there's a lot of people saying, why didn't Bud call timeout as soon as he got the rebound? And I don't think anyone realized how much time was left along with what the deficit was because Milwaukee had spent so much time just making sure to get baskets as quick as possible that if they had realized that they needed a three, maybe they could have tried calling a timeout and drawing a play. But those last few minutes, which also account for why Milwaukee was able to get so many more shots than the Mavericks is because near the end, they were just constantly getting layups and three-pointers while Dallas was primarily shooting free throws. But yeah, it was a make-or-miss league, and Milwaukee missed too many early on. And once those two Porzingis threes happened, it was pretty much the end of that. It was a weird ending to the game, though, and... I was kind of cackling on my couch as it was happening. It was like uh, he did the J.R. Smith, except no consequences, essentially. It was it was like uh, Sterling Brown not having – he had a really good start to the season, and as of the past couple of weeks, as and felt like he's been nearly as uh, excellent as he was to begin the year. And so to, for him to be the guy who gets the rebound there and then ends up pulling the J.R. Smith is somewhat poetic. But uh, kind of jumping off your point as well, Kai, I think – what was interesting about this game, not only the fact that even though they missed all these, they were still able to keep in, but the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting was the fact that we saw Coach Bud kind of adjust a little bit, at least with his lineup. So, for example, Robin Lopez only plays three minutes where he's been averaging, you know, double digits, like 13, 14 minutes or so a game. But, you know, we saw in a situation like this against the Mavericks where they don't really play a quote-unquote traditional center. I mean, Porzingis is the size of a traditional center, but he doesn't necessarily play like one. And they could have played Boban Marjanovic, but they didn't at all. And so that could have been a situation where, you know, if Bud is the same old Bud that we've gotten used to, he just puts Robin out there just because those are the minutes and that's just the system. That's how it's supposed to go. And yet we saw in this case that there was a slight adjustment there. And it, even though it didn't pay off in the actual final result, I thought it was interesting that we actually saw a change, which is something we're not used to seeing Bud do during the course of a regular season, at least. Yeah, I think I was going to ask if there's anything else instructive to take from that one, but I think you may underscored a good point there, Riley. Uh, the next game that I wanted to talk about was, of course, the big 111-104 win against the Lakers. Game lost a little bit of its luster with both teams losing earlier in the week, 
Lakers to the Pacers, Bucks respectively to the Dallas Mavericks. 111-104 win, Kyle. Giannis has 34 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 of 8 from deep. That's a career high for him. George Hill, 21 points. Chris Middleton, 15 points. Uh, Anthony Davis, 36 points, but on just 11 of 25 shooting. And LeBron, just 8 of 19 from the floor, but he does log a triple-double. It felt like, Kyle, the 111-104 win final score doesn't really necessarily uh, match up with what the, the game the game seemed to show. Um, did you think that as well, Riley? Yeah, I I mean, they totally – so my prediction about uh, waxing the Mavericks, it turns out I was just a game off, so they actually waxed the Lakers in the first half. It was – I remember, one, I get emotionally, like, not devastated, but I get really into the game when it's happening, and it's kind of sickening. Like, if I was a third party, I would be like, wow, that guy's really strange. But the joy with which I felt <laughs> during the entirety of the first half because – everything was going Milwaukee's way, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, Anthony Davis appeared to have not shown up. He did a lot better in the second half, but it it was just a beautiful thing to watch. However, I I think that final score is is pretty accurate because the Bucs didn't play nearly as well in the second half. And how much of that is up to the Bucs and how much of that is, and I don't like doing this. This is not something I like going to a lot, but I thought the refing in this game was abhorrent on both ends. Like I understand that Anthony Davis is hard to ref and I understand that Giannis is hard to ref, but I don't think they're both hard to ref in a way where you give Davis all the calls in his, you know, in his direction and you go against Giannis for the most part. So I thought between that, there were a lot of like ticky tack fouls. Every time Davis went to the basket, there was a foul called for, you know, send to the line again, which was really annoying to watch and makes me question a little bit, you know, like you said, that final score, how much of a true reflection is it? But overall, I thought it was excellent to see the Bucks play so well, especially not having Eric out there. Now there's a question, if Eric is out there, how does that change the way the team plays? But, you know, you have this hyped-up clash between the best team of the West, the best team in the East. Uh, they don't have Kyle Kuzma. Whatever, you can bite me on that. But Eric Bledsoe's not out there, and he's obviously a core piece, and you see the result goes Milwaukee away. So I was I was impressed overall, even if it was really annoying for circumstances outside of Milwaukee's grasp. I thought one of the most uh, frustrating parts of that whole game was, <clears throat> yeah, the, the refing maybe seemed a, a little unequal between the sides, but it was really just, I mean, Giannis was in foul trouble. trouble. Chris Middleton was in foul trouble. I mean, LeBron James found himself in foul trouble at times. It, it was frustrating how the refs seemed to really take some of the superstars off the court for large swaths of the game. I mean, the Bucks had to play a lot of the third quarter without uh, Giannis out there, I believe, and Chris Middleton as well, who really, as, as a rhythm scorer, it's hard when Chris Middleton is in foul trouble. It's tough for him to really just like get himself going out there when he's only playing in fits and spurts. So I thought that was really a, a predominant story that was – tough to take for them. I thought another huge thing from that game, Riley, was it felt like Brooke Lopez's rim protection was very, very vital for the Bucks. I mean, the Lakers still shoot pretty well at the rim. They end up shooting 65.4%, which is pretty good, pretty good, especially considering that the Bucks allow very, very few points at the rim this year. And Brooke Lopez has been a really good defender. I think a lot of those seem to come on on those little alley-oops that they would throw to Anthony Davis. It seems like those were the ones where they were able to sort of catch the Bucks in between their zone drop scheme and get those those oops to to land in Anthony Davis's hands. Yeah, and I think, I believe it was John Schumann over at NBA.com the next day, so Friday, he posted an article about that interior defense and specifically looking at Brooke Lopez and even though the Lakers had won the points in the, or points in the paint battle, I think it ended up being like 20 points less than their season average or something along those lines, which obviously is indicative of how good, you know, like you said, Brooke Lopez is, but also the rest of the team. And what is most impressive about Brooke is in maybe, I don't know how to really compare it. I would have to go back and look compared to last season, but it almost seems like he's even more comfortable in this role as the drop scheme and whether or not that's just a whole season. Now he's got a better idea of what his teammates are going to be doing, but between his familiarity with it and when to attack the pick and roll or when to really drop back. And in addition, it it should be noted. I mean, he's dealing with a lot of guys that are coming right into his chest and to retain the strength to be able to keep his arms, you know, essentially perpendicular, like up and down 
not getting a ton of foul trouble because there's a lot of times where he's absorbing contact or trying to make opponents have to adjust their shots or you know keep it to a point where they have to take it from the mid range or whatever it is. There, I could imagine there are a lot of other centers in the league who would be lesser at keeping in mind the actual like body fluidity to stay out of foul trouble. So I agree completely, and it's yet another aspect of Brook Lopez where maybe he isn't making the three-pointers as we would like in the offensive end, but he's so valuable defensively that you can't take him out just because, like you said, with the Lakers, with any opponent, just it forces them to completely change the way they play or they're stuck in a morass because they can't score. Yeah, and I, I, the other really key point that I think we need to touch on is defensively how the Bucks decided to match up. We tried to prognosticate how we thought Bud would work his matchups and uh, Kyle, you were the one who actually called out West guarding LeBron, and you thought that's how he would go. And, I mean, he performed his butt off. I, I mean, forcing LeBron to 8 of 19 from the floor. He has incredible lower body strength to try and prevent LeBron from getting to his spots. I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't say enough about the defensive performance that West Matthews put out there. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting just because with all of that work that he had to do defensively, he still put in a decent offensive night, getting 13 points, shooting three or seven from the floor. But the defense as a whole was really impressive. They got 14 steals on the Lakers, um, four from Brooke Lopez, actually three, and Wes Matthews had three. Ursan and Sterling Brown each getting two. So Kyle Corver even was good defensively, which I don't think I would have said in the year 2019. But <laughs> here we are, and maybe it's because Avery Bradley is just 100% wash, but I think defensively it was that was the key. It allowed with all the foul trouble, especially whatever plan Bud would have had going in, probably would have gone out the window due to all the foul trouble. So to see Wes Matthews stick with LeBron as well as he did, I mean, forcing him to shoot eight and 19 from the floor is always impressive. Um, Dante getting deflection, Sterling Brown was back to his normal pesty self, and I, I think it's just one of those where. Milwaukee's defense was really the key catalyst in their second quarter for how they're able to get off. Yes, they were able to hit their shots, but it, I think that the defense in the second quarter especially was a big reason why it, Milwaukee had such a large lead, and it was only until the Lakers were slowly chipping away in the third quarter that really made this game look closer than it was. But I think defensively this was a good performance from Milwaukee. It's something that needed to be highlighted, especially with all the talk surrounding this game and LA being at LA and Milwaukee, people still not believing in them. And shout out to the bench as well. Lakers bench only had four points, while Milwaukee's bench, I mean, George Hill alone had 21. So the bench making a key difference as well. And I think that just shows how the two teams are approached while Milwaukee is going to go with Giannis and hope that, and while you have Chris Milton as your second guy, you have other players that can equally contribute well with the Lakers. It's kind of just give the ball to LeBron and Anthony Davis make sure they do well, and then otherwise there's no one else on that team that realistically can do anything. I mean, Danny Green would be the closest saying, and he shot 7 of 21, not 7 of 21, 7 of 12 from 3 for 21 points. So it's kind of just hoping that those two guys do all the work and you have another two chip in, but that's not the strategy that I would think would be super successful. But when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, you can't get away with it until you face a team as equally talented as Milwaukee. Yeah, Riley, I'm going to clear the floor real quick for you to just do a quick uh, washed watch uh, for Kyle Korver and uh, his performance on Avery Bradley. So this is interesting because this is not in the podcast notes. It's a little bit, you know, inside baseball for all the listeners. In fact, this is the Avery Bradley wash watch. I (laughs) didn't focus a lot on Avery and that might be because let me see how many minutes he played before I go any further here. Hold on. Played 18 minutes. I did not, had no idea he was out there for 18 <laughs> minutes and I don't, you know, I don't like to make this personal, even though this is obviously an inherently personal segment, but that, that possession, I want to say it was in the second quarter, maybe even the first where he, Avery Bradley gets the ball on the left corner and the only guy guarding him, the only guy is Cal Korver, who moves at an average speed of 2.2 miles an hour. And there was so many different opportunities, so many different ways to attack that Avery Bradley could have taken. But instead, he tried to do like a hesitation crossover, like ran into Kyle Korver, then fell over. And then like he, he didn't even try to pass out. He Then he ran into like, I think, JaVale McGee and then Kyle Korver. God bless him. He threw himself to the floor to get the steal. And I thought at that point, 
I don't advocate a guy retiring before he feels comfortable retiring. You know, as long as you're willing to go out there, go for it. But most self-respecting players might have chosen to just retire right then and there. So Avery Bradley, <laughs> um, it, it was it was brutal, and it's really strange because it, it wasn't only like a year and a half ago that uh, Avery Bradley was the next hot thing on the free agent market, and now Kyle Korver is beating him, you know, defensively, and it's a, it's a sad thing to see. So nobody this week uh, gets the wash wash treatment except for Avery Bradley. Uh, it's just brutal. Not not good for them. And uh, if you're going to be having him playing 18 minutes, it's probably 18 wasted minutes for the most part, even though I'm sure he's okay here or there. Yeah, I would just like to point out very briefly on uh, behalf of Kyle Korver, I'm looking up the average speed uh, via the tracking stuff. <laughs> yes, please. For, <laughs> for Milwaukee's players, he is tied for third on the team for what? fastest average speed. Oh, my God. 3.9 miles per hour. Uh, that is tied with Pat Connaughton and Thanasis. Uh, so, <laughs> is that for like speed with which they run off the bench to celebrate things? <laughs> nothing against Thanasis, but yeah, the, yeah, Thanasis hasn't traveled uh, quite as far typically per game. But we've got a Dante number one at four point four eight. For there record. we go, speedy Dante, <laughs> secret speed Dante. <laughs> I know. Are we? I, we're going to seed uh, Dante's Inferno time this week. Although it would have been a nice brief highlight on his. Uh, his preternatural ability to block and Anthony Davis attempted alley-oop at the rim. He freaking went up there and met him at the summit. That was insane. Um, that was crazy. Yeah. Uh, the the only other thing that I really want to draw away from this game was, uh, again, going back to the fouls, but what was impressive and what's what's been impressive – to, at least in my opinion, and it hasn't been as relevant as I feared it would be at the start of the season, was you remember when Giannis said that he was never going to foul out, and then two weeks into the season, he fouled out of like three games <laughs> out of the first four games. And since then, it's both a combination of Bud getting him out when you know things aren't going his way in terms of the whistle, but also his intelligence to play, yet... You know, everybody was like, oh, my God, did you see Anthony Davis totally baptize Giannis? It's like, okay, there's three dudes maybe in the league who, even with five fouls, is still trying to – now, whether you can ask whether or not it's smart to try and block that shot, but there are very few guys who are willing to, in that sort of tight situation, still try to defend the basket the way that Giannis did. And so I want to give him props for, one, taking the crown from LeBron, and then after the fact, acting like that didn't actually happen. And then two, playing defense in an intelligent way and recognizing offensively when he's in foul trouble instead of just trying to barrel away as he's wont to do and is so good at doing, he recognizes, okay, I have to do a fader. I have to get everybody else involved, whatever it is. So I, I want to give a shout out to Giannis because that was very much uh, you know, on display in the fourth quarter, especially when things were tight. And again, it kind of shows up in the end with the, uh, the old final result there. Yep, absolutely. And then it's one last point. Five of eight from deep for Giannis in a huge nationally televised game is really, really nice to see. Maybe gonna they'll pick up on a little bit of the narrative switching on him. It was also a career high for him. It was even sweeter, Kyle, knowing he made five threes and in his first year under Jason Kidd, who was on the bench, he only made seven threes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, the fact that Giannis leads the Bucks in three-pointers made – has me a really really concerned and b really really optimistic. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. We don't even need to talk about Jason Kidd. I I I don't want to even want to talk. We about had that. enough Jason Kidd talk with uh, the old Christ comparisons last week, so we can we got enough <laughs> for at least a week or two. Yes, yeah, a hundred percent. Now, a team that could probably use the power of Christ is the New York Knicks. Uh, to, uh, more than that. Yeah, they need an exorcism <laughs> and then some. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's uh, the Bucks won 123 to 102 over the Knicks. Giannis, 22 points, 11 rebounds, uh, 10 assists, notches a triple double. Only needs 10 shots on the night. Dante, 13 points, 7 rebounds. He looked pretty slick. Middleton, 23. Cover had 17. This was this was an absolute runaway win before the Knicks made a little bit of a comeback in the in the fourth against the Bucks scrubs and forced you know Bud to put a few more starters uh, back in, but. I would say the less said about this game, the the better. It was another just Bucks destroyed the Knicks. Uh, but I'd I'd like to give one shout out to Brooke Lopez who had seven blocks for the night. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's appropriate. I'm looking through the, so I fully admit I didn't watch a single second of this. Don't regret okay. it for a moment. Uh, Kyle Korver, six of 10 from the floor, three of six from three. Uh, Kyle Korver this past week, not washed. That's, that's certified. I, I see it now per the box score. I see the numbers. Yeah. You're, you're two washed guys. Wes Matthews has been really good too of late. He's really picked up. I like to I like to think like all powerful people around the globe. They too listen to the Brew Hoop podcast and we're like, you know what? F that Riley guy. We're just going to go out and play better. And so they have. So you're welcome, everybody. I will be the bane of everybody's existence and be the goat if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. All I can say about this game is I was celebrating Christmas. I looked at my phone, saw that the Bucks were winning, saw that the Bucks were still winning. Each notification showing the lead get larger, larger and continued on with my night. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> Did you chuckle at all? Did you lightly chuckle to your phone while you looked at the box score? I didn't even do that. I just looked and I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Beautiful. It's, it's, it's about right for a game against the Knicks, which I should note, it seems like every year, and it's probably because the Knicks are god-awful, but doesn't it feel like we play the Knicks 32 times a season, like no matter the season? It's really strange. I feel like it's always within, like, we play them three or four, like, three times within a two-week span. Yeah. Like, I don't know, because there are teams that the Bucks have yet to play in the Eastern Conference, and yet, like the Sixers, and yet we've played the Knicks twice, and it's like, are we sure that we're not in the Atlantic Division or something? Because yeah. it seems odd. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just so sad. I mean, Bobby Portis, two of nine. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's go through that. Yeah, we might as well just box score break this bad boy down because that's all there is to I it. I don't think there's anything worth mentioning besides maybe Kevin Knox not being the worst. He was okay. Everyone else was trash. Yeah, it feels like Kevin Knox has actually played really well against the Bucks. I think he had like his first breakout game against the Bucks last year or something. Uh, all right, anyway, let's move on. Uh, the far more interesting game of this past week, I would say behind the Lakers, of course, given the uh, magnitude of that one and the... And the relevancy to the standings was uh, the Milwaukee Bucks sort of handing it to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. Kyle, take your victory lap. Just do it. Let's get it over with. Look, I said a couple months ago <laughs> that while Malcolm Brogdon is a really good player and you can maybe blame the owners for being cheap, there's no way you could justify paying him over 20 mil a year to do the same things that he did last year. It was unrealistic. It's a bad idea. He is a good player, but his stats were inflated because, A, he is the number one option, and he has the ball all the time and had a higher usage rate. And just for that, he confirmed all my assumptions and validated me by going 5-19. and 19. Meanwhile, his replacement, Wes Matthews, goes 5-10, 4-8 from deep. George Hill looks pretty good. Dante, still Dante. So, yes, the book, the Bucks are better without Malcolm Brogdon. And maybe we should pump the brakes on assuming that just because he don't look at the points per game. I was right. The end. It's great. <laughs> okay. Big, group, big uh, trust. Okay. All right. You can, you can continue, Adam. Sorry. I just wanted to get that out of the way. That's fine. That was a strong victory lap. Now, I would like to caution <laughs> Kyle a little bit. Maybe we don't. We, uh, we shouldn't use the one-game sample size as complete validation. <laughs> Um, nah, nah, it's hundred percent validation. <laughs> okay. He well, failed me. Malcolm failed me. Game, I would have let this die. But no, <laughs> this was the first matchup, and that his comments before the game didn't help matters. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always struggle with the comments. It's like, what, what's the what's the guy going to say? Clearly, they're 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 looking to get a, a specific quote out of him, you know. And I'm sure they're asking very fair questions. But like, I would be doing the same thing. I, you know, there's a specific quote I want to hear. I want to we get into his his mindset and actually know what was behind his thinking. I think we'd all really love to know that uh, as opposed to just reading, reading between the lines all the time. Um, but uh, you know, I, I mean, tough night for Malcolm Brogdon, 10 points, uh, five and 19 from the field really seemed to struggle having to create his own shot against the Bucks defense, especially Wes Matthews did notch notch 10 assists really did a decent job penetrating and, and kicking out and forcing the Bucks to scramble. Uh, defensively though Riley yeah I think I'm not as dejected as I could be but I have to admit it to you guys this guy failed me and I'm sick and tired of coming on here every week and looking like a total idiot I mean come on really Malcolm don't you listen to the podcast don't you know how much I care about you so that was really disappointing (laughs) but or you heard me and said you know what Kyle's right 
I, uh, I, I would, it's no longer relevant for me to go back to our point counterpoint piece, Kyle, and like send that out into the other and be like, see, I was right all along. But anyways, back to the game. I, I think what was most interesting about the game, not only the Malcolm Brockton aspect, but like you said, the way that they were able to use the pick and roll with a guy like Sabonis, who he ends up getting 19 points, goes eight of 16 from the floor and three, three or two of two from three. I thought it was interesting looking at the Pacers because they're a team with bigs who aren't like, like Turner will do a little bit from three, but they're both like, okay from the mid range a little bit. And so if that's the case, it's kind of an inverse where we're used to like seeing a pick and roll situation where the big essentially dives right for the basket or stays out on three, like just one or the other. This is a unique team in that they look to get their bigs from the mid range. And obviously the Bucks will live with that. That's what they're looking for. But there were a couple of games just like, Jesus Christ, like Colin Sexton cannot miss these floaters or whoever, whoever the guard happened to be in this case. And even though Sabonis only goes 50% from the floor, there was a lot of possessions where like, he's just left alone on the elbow and he just, you know, easy jumper for him. And so I'd be curious looking in that heading forward with other teams. I'm not sure how many other NBA rosters have the personnel to be able to really do that at a high level, but it's kind of almost like the Kawhi thing all over again, where it's like sort of a big, where he just kind of keeps getting you from the mid range, no matter schematically what you try to do, or even if you try to guard him. So that was the other thing that was kind of interesting besides, like you said, the Bucks essentially by the time the third quarter was over, kind of handing it to the Pacers and fourth quarter was a wrap at that point. Well, the thing that stuck out to me, Kyle, was I'm glad you brought that up, Riley, because when when Miles Turner and so, I mean Sabonis was hitting the mid range jumpers, but Miles Turner was picking and he was popping and he was hitting his incredibly high arcing shot from from three point land. I couldn't help but think back and remember the wheel started turning from last year. It was like, oh, that's right. Remember when we were always having these debates about what are the Bucks going to do about these pick and pop bigs? You know, how many of these guys are going to hurt the Bucks before they're willing to adjust? Uh, but then it felt like we the same sort of narrative played itself. It was like a nice microcosm of how the last season went, where we're concerned about Al Horford, but then it turns out that over the course of a full game, those guys kind of stop either shooting that shot or when they start missing, they stop shooting that shot, shot altogether. So it felt like to me, Kyle, uh, in the, the but that really happened over the course of the second half as the Bucks were able to take the reins. Yeah, and I think it also was the different one of the differences in the Easter Conference Finals, where you see in games one and two, Mark. Gasol can't get those pick and pop shots to fall and the Bucks are running away with it. He doesn't take those shots while in three and four, he hits them. And that's when he starts feeling confident and the offense falls better for Toronto. So it kind of parlayed into that same way for Indiana with Miles Turner taking those shots. El Horford is the same kind of guy. There's, those are the only teams off the top of my head in the Eastern Conference that have the ability to do that. And you look over in the Western Conference and they don't really have anyone besides maybe Carl Anthony Towns who's capable of taking those shots. I mean, you have Nikola Jokic who can play make from a pick and pop situation, but I think that's the good thing with Milwaukee is especially with their defense, they only limit the Pacers to five free throws, which is a big part of it. Why Sabonis kept taking those mid range jumpers because Milwaukee was handing it to them. And when the pick and pops were happening, just letting those shots happen instead of them getting to the rim and potentially getting free throws, which I was kind of surprised about because I would have assumed a guy like Malcolm Brogdon answering the pick and roll, he would have got had more success getting to the rim since he was so good at doing that last year. And he's been good at that overall. Yeah. I, and I, I was really curious about that because I hadn't really been following on the Indiana Pacers and I saw they were pretty, they're really, they're pretty low in terms of free throw attempts per game. I think if you look, they're actually last, per game, which really surprised me. Uh, and I, I, that's always been a bugaboo for me with Malcolm Brogdon is he's so good at getting to the rim, but he does these, he somehow usually just goes for the finish as opposed to getting fouled. And so, I mean, that's what sort of winds up with the Pacers only getting five total free throws on the night. Yeah, he contorts a ton. Like it's, it, I'm not sure if it's a trying to shy away from contact or the, what the deal is, but you're all right that that's like a, uh, a feather in the cap for Malcolm, the way that he plays, which when he was with Milwaukee because there was so much spacing, wasn't that big of a deal. But in Indiana, when he's going to be the primary ball handler, obviously it's going to be a little bit more difficult if he's not willing to try and absorb contact or force something a little bit more inside. Yeah. He is a good free throw shooter. As he showed last year being a 50, 40, 90 guy. So you would think you would be okay with taking the contact and trying to get those free throws. Cause it's near automatic for him. And maybe that'll change when Victor Oladipo does return healthy, but if that's what Indiana's going to throw at, at his best for offense, they'll still be a playoff team, but 
to get past the first round. I just don't see it happening. Can I uh, ask you guys a question sort of related to the Pacers game, but just about the team, the Bucks in general? Mm-hmm. Does anybody, is anybody concerned with the fact that George Hill, uh, as amazing as he's been this season, are we concerned that maybe his 52% from three uh, rate is unsustainable? And do we have any concerns about what that might mean for the team if it does kind of fall back to earth at all? I guess it depends on when it falls. If it falls, say, next month, but then he rebounds relatively okay, that's fine. I don't think he's going to continue shooting 52%. If he can stay above 38, 39, that would be fine with me. But no, to see him shooting 52%, it doesn't seem sustainable, and who knows? I can be proven wrong, but if it's going to fall off, let it fall off in the regular season, not in the playoffs. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, it's going to fall. A uh, little bit of is it though? I, I mean, <laughs> little bit of regression. It might not at this rate. I mean, considering <laughs> he shot twenty eight percent in the regular season for the Bucks last year, <laughs> like it could just be like a little regression to the mean. But I don't know. I mean, you. I would have guessed in Cleveland when he was with them, he would be getting just as many sort of open shots. And I haven't looked at his shot profile to see if he's getting open shots because it does seem like this dude is just pulling up in guys' faces with these bench lineups and nailing them. But inevitably, it will start to fall. And, you know, I think Kyle's right that it's really going to matter when it starts to fall. But I think it is important to see that Brooke Lopez kind of get himself going in that, in that Pacers game, you know, 17 points. Uh, eight rebounds. I'm just pulling it up. I mean, three of six from three, you know, not gangbusters, but significantly better than how he's been doing. And uh, I looked, I think in December, he's at like 35% from three, which is more around his, his average. And mm-hmm. so hopefully you see that kind of tick up and maybe he'll sort of fill in some of those gaps while uh, George Hill is, is falling back to earth. Yeah. I, I think all that is right. It's just, it, it is really impressive and it has papered over a lot of the cracks where a lot of those lineups with just George Hill and other subs, it was like, man, this is sort of ugly, but maybe part of going through that is it's just really an acknowledgement of how good George Hill has been, like no matter the lineup. And, you know, obviously we can, I don't know if we want to jump on the six man of the year uh, train. We're a little late to that, but uh, it's been an awesome season from him and he's blown my expectations away so far. So good for you, George Hill. Thank you. Yeah, totally agree. I, I thought coming into the season he was a possible regression candidate just given his his contract, but I mean he's played really well. It's also crazy to me. I was when we when they were facing Cleveland, I couldn't help but think like George Hill's making the same amount of money that Delhi was making when he was with the Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, made me really sad. Not uh, nearly enough heart, though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that dude, don't remember Delhi will always be immortalized for having that. Uh, that round against the Celtics where he picked up that ball that they at the end of the first quarter and he, he did his usual deli grit ga- grit game and he got the layup to go or whatever the buzzer. And I thought for sure we were going to win the championship. So uh, Delhi <laughs> shout out Delhi for that. So I'm not sure if George Hill's giving me a moment like that yet. Delhi's floater in, in that one looked like, um, you know, in like a video, in a video game or something. When, uh, yeah, you're using a, using a character and like glitches and they get stuck in a weird like shot formation. And then they like yeah. just sit there like that frozen. Like that's kind of, and then they skate around the floor like that. So they're still moving, but that's kind of what reminded me. Delhi's shot thing reminds me of. I was there that game. I was there that game. And I remember he, he just, the ball rolled and all of a sudden he just see Delhi sprint and he kind of flipped it up like, you know when you're goofing around when you're shooting hoops and you're younger, you're trying to do ridiculous circus shots? That's what Delhi did. Did you think we were going to win a championship when that when that shot fell, Kyle? No, but I felt really confident that at least win the first round. Okay, then, well, we were wrong about that. That was my championship so. at the time. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, enough one Delhi last, talk. Yeah, enough Delhi talk. One last amazing stat from this Pacers game was the fact that the Bucks held them to 34 points total in the second half, which is insane because the Bucks scored 34 in the fourth quarter and 38 in the second quarter. Uh, so just a really tough shooting half for the Pacers. Uh, but good to see. I did not realize the, I mean, it's, I'm not surprised by it, but the amount of domination the Bucks have had over the central division foes, I think they're like 25 and three or something over the past two years, they were saying on the broadcast, but that is, I am absolutely fine with that. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Let's take a quick break here. And on the other side of this, we're going to talk about the big Christmas Day game between the Bucks and 76ers and then move on to our 
rapid fire questions and uh, a very special Kyle film review Christmas edition. And this one is stuffed. So stay tuned. <laughs> All right, we are back. And for the second year in a row, guys, the Milwaukee Bucks are playing on Christmas day and we are blessed with a significantly better matchup than what we had last year. Last year seemed like a nice little test balloon league. Tried it out. Bucks, Knicks, see how it goes. Bucks absolutely waxed the floor with the Knicks, unsurprisingly. So now we get a absolutely marquee matchup. Bucks 76ers, first time they've met this year. It's at Philadelphia. Uh, before I go into some of the stats, um, Kyle, do you? Uh, how have you tried to work watching the Bucks into your Christmas Day festivities? Oh, it's simple. I let everyone know I'm watching the Bucks on Christmas Day, and whatever they decide to do is fine. I'm just not going to be a part of it. <laughs> okay. That's, that's what I did fair. last year. Like, I remember my parents were setting up a TV stand, and I just sat there on the couch watching the Bucks game, not helping out at all, not doing anything. <laughs> okay. Kyle what? was just there shoveling popcorn in his face, and everyone was like, Kyle, you okay? And he's just like, don't talk to me right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm locked in. No, I uh, – it's really this is painful because this is I, ever since the schedule came out, I circled this bad boy because I knew I knew it was going to be important because it's the Sixers and you have to prove that they're a bunch of hate or you know a bunch of fakers. But unfortunately, uh, I will be uh, traveling to Illinois to go see family, so I will <laughs> I guess have to find an ESPN Chicago station and just listen to there and uh, hope it doesn't suck. I don't know. It's 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 not going to be great. So I will be out of contact i'll probably have to re-watch the game which is uh <laughs> kind of a, a little bit of a downer but my question for you adam is are you going to be like in the arena are you are you brew hoops on-site media representative unfortunately no given that we are now traveling oh yeah to, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah sorry i, I would have i don't even know if i would have fitted in or not the ticket prices were really really high and we already bought tickets to the other buck sixers game later in the year um but or maybe it's better that I'm not in the city for it. I'm <laughs> really, I'm usually not a guy who gets excited, very excited about games or gets really, uh, I would say overconfident, but my uh, wife was texting a group chat. I have of a, a, a betting thing where if the, if you bet on, <laughs> if you bet on the box, uh, like money line. So if they win over the Sixers that you get an extra three bucks for every three point shot, the bucks make. And, um, I said, you got to bet that, baby. I mean, we're going to kick the 70 <laughs> Suxers butt. They're, they are just going to get absolutely destroyed. Um, so you can blame me when we end up losing. Uh, but the- it's really it's really sweet that you and your wife have found sports gambling and all its different facets as a way to bond with one another. I think that's really, it's really romantic. <laughs> well, I don't even really like it, but she just keeps betting. And I eventually... <laughs> I eventually had to realize like everyone was like, you know, that's your money as well, Adam. And I, so then I had to start sort of investing myself in it because uh, it, it does get to be a lot. Um, but so, yeah, so th- that's a bet I like, but more on the game itself, which of course is going to be a really interesting matchup. We talked a little bit last week about the size of the Sixers uh, aligned a little bit with the, the Lakers. We got an interesting glimpse at how Bud might try to go up against the team with size. Uh, the 76ers, just some big stats from cleaning the glass. Their offensive rating is ranked 13th. Uh, that's ticked up a little bit lately. It seemed like earlier in the year they weren't doing that well. Uh, defense ranked 5th overall. Of course, that's kind of their calling card given their lineups that they can put out. Uh, they are 24th in percentage of their shots from deep, so they really don't shoot that many threes. Uh, but, of course, the Bucks give up plenty of threes, so we'll see. Maybe they'll coax them into shooting them. 18th in percentage of shots at the rim. Top 10 for percentage of shots from the mid-range. But, the important thing is that the Bucks, or the excuse me, the 76ers are top 10 in terms of accuracy from three mid-range and the rim. So that's just sort of a base idea of their shot profile. So, Riley, how do you think those, given just some of those stats and, and your, you know, whatever knowledge you have of, of what the Sixers try to do offensively, how do you think the Bucks might go about uh, trying to stop them? What they're going to do is they're literally just going to, everybody's going to lay down on the floor every time MB gets the ball and then just going to laugh as he misses the shot. That's what they're going to do and book it. Now, uh, assuming that's probably not going to be the strategy. It's interesting because I I admit that I have not watched a lot of Sixers basketball this season, but the couple of clips that I have seen, especially like in fourth quarters, 
it seems like they don't have much of an idea what the hell to do, which is not surprising given the personnel. Like, they're all good players, but everybody kind of predicted, like, this might be a little bit of a strange fit. And so what I'm curious about is, like, this should offense, at least for defensive for Milwaukee, this should be relatively easy. Like, sag off of MB, don't, you know, don't bite on his pump fake, which is just the worst pump fake in the league, but people bite on it all the time and like pack the paint as you usually do. So essentially rope-a-dope the Sixers, do what everybody else does to Giannis, but essentially try to do it to the entire team because they are, I think, bottom in, not totally like dead last in the league, but pretty freaking low in terms of three-pointers made, and even like I think 26 and three-pointers attempted. And so if that's going to be the case, the Bucks are perfectly built for that. Like if you're going to take like, 10 threes as it is, we'll let you have that. And then we're just going to essentially resist from the inside. So I think at least for Milwaukee defensively, it should be a relative walk in the park. Now, obviously they're all out of big guys. They're all pretty athletic and difficult to stop, but the strategy shouldn't need a lot of shifting. It's just a bigger team than you're used to playing is all. Yeah. And Kyle, I mean, you were, uh, you, you sort of predicted how Bud might try to go about defensively with the matchups. You know, obviously Brooke will be on and be, uh, Giannis would probably be on Horford, but but where do you see uh, the sort of top three forwards and guards working defensively in terms of matching up with the Sixers? I could see um, Giannis, yeah, being on Horford. Chris Milton will likely be on Tobias Harris, and then Wes Matthews and Dante Divincenzo trying to slow down Josh Richardson. No, no point in guarding Ben Simmons. You might have, if he's going to have the ball. Why bother guarding? He's not going to shoot a three. So, but in all reality, I could see Wes Matthews be on Ben Simmons to to try and limit his playmaking ability. But in terms of what Milwaukee can do defensively, I think Riley laid it up pretty well. You hope that Embiid just takes a bunch of shots and chucks it up from three. Um, Al Horford and Embiid are probably going to get a lot of looks and take around ten threes in this game. That wouldn't be surprising. It, or what Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson, and then when you have guys like Tybal and Mike Scott and Tobias Harris doing, if they can get going on three, then Philadelphia has a chance. But otherwise, you live with Horford and B taking all the shots and hope that no one else off the bench, you know, like a Mike Scott goes six of eight or something like that. In terms of offense, Milwaukee, while yes, Philly has tall dudes, Giannis could blow past each and every one of them. So if Giannis, I'm assuming Giannis is going to get going. I think Chris Middleton can handle Tobias Harris. It depends on who Ben Simmons is going to guard. If Ben Simmons should be on Giannis as the most likely person to at least limit him to only 30 points and not 50. But it, this is a game where if Brooke Lopez can get going from three, that would be huge for Milwaukee. Meanwhile, Dante, I think, is going to have his hands full with Josh Richardson. That should be an interesting match to see how those two match up. I think th- I almost feel like this is going to be a repeat of the first jazz game of the season where the Bucks went to Utah, because like we've noted a couple of times for Giannis, yes, he does get going eventually, but when it's a new team or a team that's really good at interior defense or has a really good interior defender, it takes Giannis a little bit of time to figure it out. And so my question is, is it going to take on the full first half to figure it out? Is he going to have it like right away? And if he's in the process of figuring out from inside, especially trying to score himself, how willing is he going to be to try and make things happen for his teammates? Because again, given the size, like you said, Kyle, given the you know relative slowness that comes with that, like, yes, they all have length, but they're all moving a little bit slower. Is Giannis going to be able to take advantage of that? And are we going to see like a really impressive playmaking night from Giannis more so than a impressive scoring night? So that's, that's what I'm going to be interested in looking at on offense. Yeah. And one of the Sixers, one of the things the Sixers defense does, if you look at it statistically, is they allow the fewest percentage of opponent threes. So that's really a shot that they try and take away. They force teams into the mid-range. They're sort of middle of the pack at the rim, and we know the Bucks love to attack the rim. Uh, I, I am sort of seeing what you're talking about, Riley, where it, that might that might flip a little bit, where they are uh, interested at just trying to take away Giannis at the rim, knowing how how much that can really hinder what the Bucks like to do offensively. Uh, and then I guess that's probably going to have to be when Giannis is is trying to hit those triples. I mean, he was able to do that, I believe, a little bit last year in the game in Philadelphia when he scored 50, 50 plus. I mean, that was just an incredible game. But I think this probably will be a big one where we're going to have to rely on the supporting pieces to be hitting from outside. And if those those shots aren't falling, the Bucks can't really get too frustrated with themselves. They have to kind of stick to the script and hope that it's going to continue working for them. 
Yeah, and I think it's also going to be a case of the bench, which bench is going to show up. Um, other than George Hill, you never know which bench player is going to step up and play a good game. It could be Urson, could be Pat Connaughton, could be Sterling Brown, could be Cal Corver. So trying to see which bench guy is going to step up for Milwaukee is going to be huge because Philly will have Mike Scott. They will have Fuker and Cork's mess and Pybel. So those are guys that Philly has constantly relying on, and they've been pretty well. So Milwaukee just needs to make sure that their bench unit can stick to the same play that they've been showing the last year plus. Yeah, and, and Matisse Thibel, who has been a, a pretty big part of their team, I know he is injured, so he should be out for that game, uh, which will probably be work out well for the Bucks, given the fact that some of their bench players are, are slightly limited in terms of their ability to create off the dribble, and, and Thibel is, is known for being a pest defensively. Uh, also just sort of hinders their ability to you know, have the, the same kind of defensive firepower that they have out there with the, the starting lineup. So uh, I, I just think it's going to be a, a fascinating, fascinating game, Riley, and a really a really interesting glimpse and, and provide another uh, notch on the ledger for the Bucks and trying to figure out what they might be come the postseason. Because it really does feel like at this point, we're just waiting for marquee games from them to try and get in a better idea of what to expect from them then. Yeah, and even then, it's like... Again, because Philly, and we, we talked about this last week, like because Philly is so weird given their roster construction, it's like, okay, how much can you really take away from that? But I agree that at least so far at almost every single turn, whatever has been like a quote-unquote marquee matchup, the Bucks have answered the call and have been able to, even when they were playing a little bit poorly or even when they were trying to figure out the adjustment, they did actually figure it out eventually, which it, it's not like they were struggling to do that last season, but in this season it's like, we're seeing a little bit more variety from the offense. We're seeing a little bit more variety from the defense. And we're seeing all these new parts really kind of figure things out pretty quickly. And so I, I agree that it's it's important insofar as here's another benchmark. But even if the Bucks went out and lost, it, it's again, it's, it's it's tough to say, okay, game one game out of 82, how much to really take away from it. it it'll be, again, interesting insofar as here's this different style maybe we don't win this time, but how are we able to adjust the next time the Sixers come into town? And so far the Bucks, for a lot of the teams where they had a tough time in the first game, they've done really well in the second. So that that's another thing to keep in mind as you're watching. Cross our fingers that they end up winning and don't ruin our Christmas for us, but I think it'll be a good show either way. Yeah, I totally agree. Anything else you want to say about uh, that one, Kyle, before we move on? Nope, I'm just going to be really excited to watch on Christmas and see hopefully see a Bucks win. Yeah, and don't bother Kyle while he's watching the game. That too. Popcorn Kyle. Popcorn only Kyle. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm pretty stoked for that one to come back. Hopefully they win so I can brag to the Philly friends that I have out here. Um, <laughs> Milwaukee's not even a city, bro. Yeah, they yeah they don't have very good comebacks. Uh, <laughs> they've been pretty sad lately, I think. They they basically said, I'd lean towards betting the bucks on that one. Um, so, All right. Let's move on to our, our last couple of segments here. Uh, we're going to start with rapid fire questions. I prepared them today. So hopefully you guys are ready. I tried to make them a little holiday themed and then a little end of your theme. So starting, we'll start with you, Riley. You can answer first on these. Uh, so we'll go best Christmas gift you ever remember receiving. Good question. Uh, so this one, shout out to the fiance. It, it was really sweet of her. So one of my favorite books is All Quiet on the Western Front. And for the longest time, I had looked for it uh, in German. And she went through like a billion different hoops. She had to get on the, the German version of Amazon and like try to use Google Translate to figure out how to order the book in German. Uh, she got it uh, shortly after I returned to Germany. I think it was the for my semester abroad. So I think it was the Christmas thereafter. So uh, that was by far the best gift ever because it was super thoughtful. She knew that I was really into it and was really looking out for that book in particular in that language. So that's the one that jumps to mind. Kyle? I would say a Nintendo 64 when I was about eight or nine. That was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Riley, do you have a, a favorite Christmas tradition at all? Mm, no, we don't. My family, oddly enough, never really did traditions per se. Like we, we always open gifts Christmas Eve and then just chilled out Christmas Day. Uh, we've been going these past couple of years again, fiance getting brought in here. We've been going to her family's and they do the like, it's not the search for the pickle. They do a penguin instead, instead and I've yet to find it because I just suck, obviously. So uh, that would be, I guess, my favorite tradition, but it's very loose. We don't, I don't really have anything else that comes to mind. Kyle? Yeah, 
I think the closest tradition, Emma and I recently just decided a couple days before Christmas, we go out to dinner and then we exchange gifts. Obviously, that's probably going to change in the future, but I know her family, they would watch like a lot, all the old school Christmas movies on Christmas Eve. Um, her mom bakes a shitload of cookies and I love each and every one of those. So not really big traditions, but that might change in the future. Cool. All right. This one's uh, off Christmas, but it could be Christmas themed if you want it to be. Uh, do you have a cocktail of choice? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> nah, again, not a, I'm not a, uh, a big drinker one way or the other. I don't really have a, uh, any sort of go-tos. I had some like gin and tonics at a wedding somewhat recently. They were pretty good. So I guess we'll, we'll say G and T's, but I, I'm pretty open-minded to a lot of different things. I'm going to go the most cliche Wisconsin answer and brandy old fashioned. Yes. Yeah, salute. Salute. Beautiful. All right. If you had the opportunity to, let's say the books are playing in Milwaukee and you guys are home or whatever, would you go to the game on Christmas day? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, because my family always prioritized Christmas Eve, I would have zero issues with just going there uh, Christmas day. As I've stated, I will watch the books at any cost on Christmas day. So yes, I would go to a game in Milwaukee on Christmas day. All right. Okay. And then this last one, uh, whenever people always do the favorite, which I, I did earlier already, and like twice already asking you to pick one thing. Um, but I was wondering, uh, do you have any album recommendations, albums you liked from that you've been listening to this past year that you might want to pass on to the people given it's the end of the year? Oh, God. Uh, Kyle, if you have something off the top of your head, go for it. I'm going to have to go through my Spotify real quick. I would say the two albums off the top of my head um, – Tyler, the creator, had one, Igor. That was a really good one that came out in the summer, I want to say. And then Stormzy, he's a British rapper. He just had an album come out last week. And that's I've been playing that nonstop, and it's really good. Okay. Uh, okay, if I was to suggest, so I've already talked about Caro Caro Benito. The other band that I've really liked lately is this Japanese band called Trico. Uh, and I think they're like a four-piece uh, female band. Really, really good. Um, they have, I can't pronounce any of the albums because they're all in Japanese. So I'm going to try with that. Uh, and if you're looking for an American band, uh, my favorite band of all time is Soundgarden. Go listen to Louder Than Love. It's their kind of bridge between their immature, early quote unquote immature and where they kind of really start finding their voice. So if you're looking for some, uh, something a little heavier, that's where I would go for. Wonderful. And I'm going to chime in on the last one just to give some album recommendations. I quite liked uh, Carly Rae Jepsen's new album yeah. this year, uh, Dedicated. Uh, if anyone is still thinking that Carly Rae Jepsen is is purely known for Call Me Maybe, I highly recommend you visit uh, her 2015 album, Emotion, one of the decade's finest. And then uh, I would also recommend, there's this guy, Hi Paul, J-A-I-P-A-U-L. He put out this album in 2012 and it got leaked uh, and then he basically went dark for like seven years and he finally put out an official version of it this year. But a uh, really interesting, like, British uh, synthy guy who uh, really makes music that doesn't really sound like anyone else. So I really, uh, really enjoyed those. So hopefully if you're looking for any any new music to listen to at the end of the year and start next year, those will, those will get you guys going. Uh, but that's all I got for rapid-fire questions. So Wonderful. Let's move right into a very, very, <laughs> very brief um, <laughs> vulture talk from Riley. What is the situation with Giannis's long-term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 <laughs> I'm not sure if when you're dealing with the almighty one, is it really all that brief? That's what I would have to ask. So uh, this week, we didn't have much to go off of, uh, but our old friend Jabari Parker, back in the news, uh, I believe it's the Hawks must have played the Knicks because it was the New York Post, but... Well, he didn't. Well, Jabbar did not give any sort of indication as to where Giannis might want to go. He said, "I don't have any idea where he was going to go." But he did say that there was a lot of decisions that he would have to make, and that was really important. And that Giannis was good because God gave him the ability to be good, and uh, everybody got really <laughs> mad about it. So, <laughs> and it feels like Kyle might have a take on that, but uh, yeah, there's not much in terms of ultra time except for the Almighty. No, it was just really funny when I read that quote. It was like vintage Jabari, which I mean, you know, the guy's faith, no big deal there or whatever, but it's, it was pretty like when that quote came out, I was like, yeah, that, that sounds like something Jabari would say. So that was super unsurprising. Well, I can also see it where he says it and it's just like he has this awkward look on his face because that's just how Jabari <laughs> is with public speaking. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was there. I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that we are not going to be going to Jabari Parker in the future for any more Giannis breakdowns in terms of free agency, free agency decisions now that we've had this. But it, I'm happy we got his opinion on it, at least, you know. Yeah, me too. Good question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm glad glad the New York Post got that one in. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's move on to to Kyle's the one what we teased before the break. Kyle's film review, the stuffed Christmas edition. All right, so I have three Christmas movies. I've been watching it. That's I think that's the one thing I do in, in the Christmas movie. I don't really do Christmas lights. I don't try. I don't, I'm not really big Christmas spirit kind of person, except watching Christmas movies. Um, so in the past couple of weeks, I've been able to watch three. Uh, the first one is the Santa Claus. Yes. Classic. Oh um, yes! Rewatching it, God, I need to stress that Charlie is the absolute worst. <laughs> worse than Marlon. Worse, he might be one of the worst movie characters of all time. Um, all the stuff that he does, which nearly gets his dad in trouble, gets him taken away from his dad. It's just a problem. So the movie, though, overall, I still enjoy it. It's a good trilogy. You know, Santa Claus two and three that happened after that. Those are great. So. Santa Claus gets an 8 out of 10. Home Alone, also a great movie as well. Um, Just classic. It's kind of funny looking back and it's like, I don't know how realistic this would have been in 2019. This likely would not have happened, but it's just all-time quotes, all-time reactions. I would also give that 8 out of 10. Um, You know, Home Alone 2, it's okay. But not <laughs> that, one, that one knocks down from the eight out of ten. You got to give that a couple of points, shave it off. That's a like a six point five, six point five out of ten. Like it's fine, but it's like we've we've already watched this, so there's not <laughs> too many more differences. And then Home Alone three is just an absolute train wreck. That's a zero. So um, <laughs> it's a terrible movie. <laughs> terrible. I don't have Macaulay Culkin. Like what? Why? What are we doing here? Yeah. And okay. then the last. <laughs> Christmas movie. It's called Noel. It was on Disney Plus. It had Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader. Um, actually, surprisingly, really good, funny plot. Um, what I was most surprised about was kind of how, because normally it's you know Santa is real and all this stuff, but it's kind of what this movie was is Santa's kids. So Bill Hader becomes Santa after the original one dies. R.I.P. And Bill Hader has to step up, and he's just like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Dips out. Anna Kendrick is kind of having to call the shots and try and keep things afloat while also trying to get Bill Hader to come back to do it. And it, it, it was a good movie. Um, pleasantly surprised, especially I wasn't sure if this was going to be super, super cheesy Christmas movie eh, or not. So that was a good one. Um, that one, I could, I would give that a 7 out of 10. And I forgot there's one last Christmas movie I didn't put it on the list. It's called Holiday Engagement. It is an old school 2001. I f- it's like it's like old 2001, maybe later, and that is just the worst type of cheesy, oh. predictable Christmas movie. It's like peak Hallmark Xmas movie where someone like woman gets dumped, meets this guy, they eventually fall in love, ex boyfriend comes back into picture completely messes everything up and then woman realizes that she loves the other dude and they get engaged and married because around christmas time so and i would give it give that one an eight out of ten here's the thing based (laughs) off of it is a 100 hallmark by hallmark standards if you want to watch a christmas movie made by hallmark this is a 10 out of 10 peak like exploit like example for the actual movie itself i'd give it a five <laughs> that is my Xmas Chris movie review. Wow. That I'm not going to talk about Star Wars yet because I need to get going. And we got a few more weeks. Give us a few more weeks. Yeah, and I'm, that's going to take 30 minutes probably for me to get everything off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst Christmas movie I've ever seen was uh, Jingle All the Way 2. Are you guys familiar oh, with yeah. Jingle All the Way? That was a great Christmas movie. Yeah, the, the first, first one's one. good. The second one is with um, Larry the Cable Guy. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no. When he was hot on it, when Larry the Cable Guy ran the world. Yeah, that was uh, that one didn't need to be made. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was proud of them. I'm glad you called out Santa Claus. That's one of my favorites. Um, so I'll submit those reviews to Metacritic, and we will uh, adjust their scores accordingly. Uh, <laughs> so, All right, guys, let's take a look, brief look at the week ahead. I'm just going to touch on these briefly. 
after that big Sixers game, the Bucks are at Atlanta on Friday, December 27th, and then home uh, for another game against the Magic on Saturday, December 28th. Feels like we've played them. It'll be our third time already. Uh, that is, of course, the game where the Bucks are giving away earbuds with a, a caricature of Bud on the earbuds. Clever of the marketing department. Um, they'll probably last like for four songs. Um, all right. <laughs> God has forsaken us. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what's your guys? Uh, I feel like we stopped doing this lately, probably because I just forgot. But uh, wh- what do you guys predict the the Bucks will go then for the the Sixers game, the Hawks game, and the Magic game? Three and zero. Uh, I'm gonna agree. Three and zero. It's uh, get past the Sixers, and it should be cruising from there on out. So three and zero looks likely. I'll go three and zero as well. Uh, I feel like we definitely <laughs> jinxed them, but that's uh, you know, what can you do? They go zero and three. Like we have to cancel a podcast. <laughs> oh goodness! All right. Well, anyway, with this is uh, this has been our holiday edition of the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode of forty five. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Check out all our stuff on brewhoop.com. We'll have coverage throughout the holiday week, of course, of the Christmas game as well. So. Make sure if you want to get interested and talk with some of our fellow readers, go to the game thread that day. There's always really insightful comments there. And also make sure to like and like us on uh, Facebook. Go to We have a Facebook page where you can also go there. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast and share it with any of your friends. If your family is traveling for the holidays, tell them you know a great podcast recommendation for them to listen to. And then um, maybe, maybe tell it to, hopefully tell it to people that you like and not, relatives that you don't like um but hopefully you let them subscribe ask them to review us thank you everyone for listening happy holidays to everyone and we will talk to you again soon